We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Okay, so it's been a little while since we've done one of the episodes, so let me give you a quick recap right from the beginning, the story so far. So God created everything in the world, and it was always for the purpose to fill the earth with his glory. He wanted to reveal what he looked like through his creation. Out of love, he created mankind, someone for him to express his love to, to care for, and in that love, He brought us into a community with him. He made us in his image and he allowed us to um, be part of that purpose, to fill the earth with his glory, to show the world what he's like in partnership with him. But mankind decided to go their own way and they decided that they wanted to make a world about themselves. So then God decided to pick one person, person called Abraham and he said I'm going to make you into a a nation that nation became the nation of Israel and the purpose always through that nation was God to invite mankind back into a relationship with him again and reunite so by the time we get to the beginning of kings we are following uh, one of the kings of Israel who's called David who's just about to hand over the kingdom to his son Solomon Um, Solomon had a golden period of Israel's history, uh, but he was never really fully devoted to God. He was half-hearted. During his time, he built the temple, um, but by the time he handed over to his son, his son receives a kingdom that was riddled with self-interest, with false gods, and we see the split of the kingdom from the north part of the kingdom, which was called Israel, and the south part of the kingdom, which was called um, Judah. So in the north, we see that representing about 10 of the tribes of Israel, and in the south, representing two. Now, we're going to skip a, few cha- a couple of chapters here, because it's just one king after the next. So in the north, we have Jeroboam. He, he dies, and he's taken over by his son, Nadab, who's then, um, there's a coup by a guy called Basha, great name, um, so he's then succeeded by his son, Elah, who's then um, taken over in a coup by Zimri, who's then taken over in a coup by Omri, and then we get to this guy called Ahab. So I've saved you like a chapter there, okay? Not a lot of detail apart from they all did pretty bad stuff. One died, next one took over. Meanwhile, in the south, we, we know the story of um, Rehoboam, we looked at that. So he's succeeded by his son, Adijah, something like that. So then he's succeeded by his son, Azar. Okay, so that's what's going on in the north and south. So the south is those that are from David's line, David's family, because that was part of God's promise. Right, so Jeremy's going to be my beautiful assistant. So we're getting into chapter 17 today. Okay. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, 
Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, so after all these chapters of kings and on a downward spiral, it's getting a little bit depressing. So it's quite nice now to introduce one of the prophets. Elijah is a very famous prophet in the Bible. Now, there are a few things that stood out to me when we're looking at this, this passage. And so this idea of darker than night, the brighter the light. So what is the dark night that Elijah is, uh, is coming into? Well, it's a pretty bad situation in Israel at the moment, and it's being led by this guy called Ahab. So this is in the, the, the northern kingdom. So at the end of chapter 16, it lists some of uh, the positive things about, Eli- uh, about Ahab, which includes he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone before him. He committed the sins of Jeroboam. He married Jezebel. She was from Sidon, a northern kingdom. Um, and she brings her gods, Baal, Baal, with her. He did more to arise, arose, arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all of the kings of Israel before him. So it was during... He was the leader in power when a guy called Hael decided to rebuild Jericho. So you remember Jericho in, that was conquered by Israel when they first invaded the land back in Joshua 6. Joshua said, let this town never be rebuilt but on the, the blood of, of the son of the builder. So this guy sacrificed his two children and put them in the foundations of this city. Pretty dark. It's pretty depressing. And this is the situation that we get to. But yet, this is a comment from Matthew Henry. He's a Bible commentator um, from like the 1600s. He says, So sad was the character of both the, both the princes and the people of Israel, as described in the foregoing chapter, that one might have expected God to cast off a people that had so cast him off. But as evidence of the contrary, never was Israel so blessed with a good prophet as when it was plagued with a bad king. God parachuted into a dreadful situation, a shining light of Elijah. And that theme of God rolls up his sleeves and gets involved in darkness. Now, I'm not expecting you to um, track all of these scriptures, but you'll see that it's a bit of a theme going through the Bible, right? That idea of God wading into the darkness, coming in towards us. Emmanuel means God with us. That was what was prophesied before the birth of Jesus. Psalm 16, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord your God goes with you He will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, I am with you always. Psalm 139, just you are there, you are there, you are there. Wherever I go, you are there. 
Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, I am with you, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. It's his nature, his commitment, right from the beginning of time, was to be with mankind. So when he is his... When his people question him, that's when he sends in his prophet Elijah. But one day, he will eventually come himself in the form of Jesus. Isaiah 9 verse 2, the prophecy of Jesus, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. We are people that live in the truth of that every single day. No matter what's going on, there's like 40 elections that are meant to happen during this year, and lots of key governments could end up changing. There's a lot of things that could make the, the world nervous. But I will not be shaken because I know that my God is with us, is near me. And we now live on the other side of Christ's resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He packs you with his Holy Spirit, all that have yielded to him and recognised that he's his Lord. And he now sends us into the darkness. So if you ever find yourself saying, man, this place is so messed up. Yes, that's why you're there. Because he wants light in the darkness. He calls you his light. He puts his spirit in you. And he says, now go show people what I'm like. If you're in a situation where everything's nice and dandy, you're probably in the wrong place. Because he wants to put you where the darkness is and love a world that he loved so much that he sent his only son. So this first section leaves me with a few questions which you might want to be considering. Do you want that revelation? Do you want to know that God is with you? All of those promises are in the Bible, but they're not for someone else. They're for you. Do you want to know that he is with you? Will you accept that God has sent you to be his light in dark places? How often do we want to take our children out of dark places? How often do we want to keep away from uh, dark, bad situations? But does he want to send me there? Not on my own, not on my own power, but packed with his Holy Spirit to bring light into that darkness. And if you're willing to accept that, how might that change how you think and act? So some questions there. We'll come back to those later. Right, Jem, the next passage, please. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what, you've, what you have and bring it to me. 
and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Okay, so we're in a situation where a drought has happened. So God had actually promised that he would cause a drought if the people disobeyed him. So in Deuteronomy eleven seventeen, it says, Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that God is giving you. So it was what he promised. And so God wants to involve us in his purposes. Sometimes I want to involve my children in my purposes, and sometimes we do car washing together. And this doesn't tend to last very long until this type of thing starts happening. And so when I notice that the cars that we're not trying to wash are getting soaked in the neighbor's car and poor passerby are also getting soaked by my children having too much fun with the hose, I have to do this. I have to kink it. The kids then protest because I've broken in on their fun but they weren't listening to me. I had to get their attention. Once I had their attention, I could address the issues and bring them back on, on program, which is what God was doing. And so we, we see this bit that Elijah is then sent to, to this wilderness area. When you know that God lo- loves you and looks after you, It allows you to go with nothing to certain places. If Elijah was making up his own plans, I don't think he would have come to the conclusion, you know what, I'm going to go to this ravine and there I'm going to be fed by ravens. I don't think most people, logical people, would come to that conclusion. But here he is being fed with ravens. This is the the first example of what we have of Uber Eats. (laughs) And there's... There's a situation that takes place at this point where he doesn't know quite how God's going to meet, meet these needs going on. But it's so important that his focus is not on how it's going to happen, but who's going to cause it hap- to happen. Because Elijah could have made the brook, he could have made the, the ravens his focus, his hope being in the ravens, his hope being in the brook. Because... There's a point where the brook dries up, and he could panic at that point, thinking, the source of my sustenance has gone. But God invites us to get to know who he is. You remember the other week when I had Elliot up here, we played that video of the the guy dressed up as as someone just viewing the car, and he was actually a rally driver um, dressed up. And he goes from that point of, ab- the, the salesman goes from a point of absolute terror to when, he's, when the identity of the driver is revealed, it's like, oh, let's, let's go again. He went from terror to adventure because the nature of who was behind the will, the, the identity of the person behind the will was revealed. And that's what God invites us to through these, cha- these challenges. And so he invites us to know the difference between the source and the channel So 
there are, there's who makes the provision, and it's, then the question is, how does that provision come to us? So imagine this is my little cup. This is the resource that I've currently got, but this line is the resource that I actually need. Whether it's being fed in the wilderness, whether it's being able to meet my debts and pay, pay for my, my mortgage, there is a difference in what I've actually got and what I need. Now, there's a pipeline. And I might assume that it's going to be my wage that is going to meet my needs. But there's other things that, that there are other options that are there as well. It could be gifts of friends and families, or it could be cost-cutting, or it could be a raise, or it could be ravens, or it could be a tax rebate. There's many different ways that needs could be met. And so I need to realize that ultimately God is the source. It comes from God, but he can choose to put it through different channels. If I become so dependent on my wage, if I think that is the source of everything that I need, the source of my resource, then I won't do anything that could end up getting me fired. I would never confront unrighteousness within my employer because he's my source. I can't, I can't undermine that. But if I trust that God is my source and he can use whatever he wants, it might be that he, he directs me to move my cup to where he is supplying and it meets my need. So this is about trusting that God is my source. He is my supplier, but he can use whatever channel he wants, whether it's ravens. Um, Balthazar was telling me the story about he and, and Ellie were in a holiday in Portugal and costs were much higher than they were expecting. And they realized they'd gone over budget by 2,500, I think it was all of the dresses that, that, that Ellie was buying. And, um, and so they, they'd gone right over, over budget. And they said, we, we have to trust God for this. They fly home, open the door, and the envelope on their, on their doormat was a tax rebate for 2,500 pounds. God met their need. It, it wasn't through cost-cutting. It was through a rebate. That was how God... God can do what he wants. I don't want to limit who God is, but I do want to use every situation I face to get to know the source better so I'm less dependent on the channels. This is a, a famous verse about the generosity of God, that he fills my cup, he presses it down, he shakes it together, and he, he fills it up to he overflows. That's the nature of God. My... Loving Heavenly Father knows what I need. He knows which resource I lack. And he is willing and he is able to meet my need. If I act, I can end up acting. I should look at my actions. Does, do my actions show that I trust that? Or do I think he doesn't know my needs? Do I think he doesn't care about my needs? Do I ever think he's unable to meet my need? Because when I believe I am safe in the palm of his hands or in the ever -loving arm, everlasting arms of God, it frees me to give my attention to what he wants because I'm not trying to hoard and protect for myself. 
because he will meet, meet my needs. It means that I can confront the king of Israel that there's going to be a drought and then go into the wilderness because I know that God knows my needs and he is willing and able to meet them. It means that I can seek first the kingdom of God and that he will meet what I need afterwards. It says in Matthew 7, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? goes on to say, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 8. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I have full confidence to ask them because I know he's got it in stock. He knows what I need before I ask. So I can ask because it's there. So then we when we listen to that next. Made me think of a miraculous God that works behind the scenes. So we got this bit in verse 7. So sometimes, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. Then verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, I've made other provisions for you. I started to think, how would I feel between those two verses? One's dried up and I've not heard yet what God's going to do. And sometimes we're in that place. We're between verse 7 and verse 8. How do I react to that? Am I anxious? Do I panic? Or do I have a sense of adventure? My mum used to worry sometimes about money. And um, my dad told her, you need to keep a little logbook of all of the needs that you come across. And then on the other side, put how God has met those. And she saw such an incredible fulfillment of every need that she had that she didn't need to keep the logbook anymore because it had led to her having a revelation of the source of the nature of God. So, Elijah is sent to Zarephath, which is in Sidon. You remember Jezreel, who came and did lots of evil and married Ahab, came from Sidon. So she came with her God to Israel from Sidon, and God sent Elijah to Sidon to prove himself up there as well. It's like a counterattack. And God sent him to a widow who's going to feed you. So I've commanded her. What we discover is she doesn't know that she's been commanded. So make, we've got to make our assessment based on what God requires than what we think we can manage. And I think that, that's, that's something that God's been speaking to me lately. Don't think what you think you can give God and then offer it that, to, that to him. Ask What does God want and trust that he will give you the resource to give what he wants from you? I can't afford to tithe 
so therefore I'm, I'm going to cut back. No, God requires it. So my focus is to please him. I don't know how he's going to help me meet my needs, but he knows. I just want to hear the, which channel he's going to use and rest in the truth of who my, uh, my source is. And we see the, the widow's response. She didn't have the command in her head or in her ears, but it seemed to be in her heart as she followed what, what he was asking. And we see these miracles. So, he asked for water in a drought. She was a widow, so she had her own hardships already going on. God didn't send him to someone that was financially secure. He sent him to someone that was incredibly insecure. He was a Jew, and she was a Gentile. They didn't mix much, and yet that's who he was sent to. And you think, wow, God really did prepare this woman, even though she did not know that she'd been prepared. But the very fact that her heart was willing to respond shows that God had prepared her. So sometimes we've got to just watch. Sometimes the channel that God's using doesn't really know they're a channel. But then Elijah ups the stakes. First give to me a grown man before you feed your own child. Okay, that's pushing it. That's pushing it at that point. Seems totally unreasonable. But yet, he says, fear not. And there was something about that fear not that came with it the power to believe. Got to get... The guy's guy story I was hearing this, this week, it needs to come from him direct, but he had a seed of faith for a healing when it was completely against what anyone else was thinking. And he brought that seed of hope to not fear, to trust in God. And it was contagious and spread out in this, this hospital room. And I was like, man, when we carry the seed of hope in who we know, when we say do not fear, it's not just words. It can actually plant something in someone else. So God flicks on the channel and suddenly something else happens. Miraculous flower and oil. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's much nicer than all the horrible kings in this chapter. Right, so this was the thought that came to me. Tragedy, but it's not for nothing. So does God cause that tragedy? That's what the woman initially thought. Or does he work within tragedy? 
Well, first of all, I think we see that tragedy is real. The woman, she has no husband, and the death of her son will be the end of her. Her future, her pension is in her son. There'll be no way for her, uh, no provision for her otherwise. So, it's some kind of Far Eastern religions talk about the idea of it's not really real, suffering is not really real. But that's not what the Bible talks about. And in Hebrews 4.15, talks about we have a high priest that empathizes with our weakness, empathizes with what we're going through. Jesus himself was called the man of sorrows. He knows tragedy. He's experienced it. And so it is real, and it's right to acknowledge there is tragedy in our lives. The second thing that came to me was we need to address our complaint correctly. So the woman, all she could do was take her complaint to Elijah. Elijah, who knew God, took that same complaint to God. It's interesting, he didn't try and defend God to her. He actually thought, well, that's a pretty reasonable question, what's going on here? But he goes and talks to God. And when you look at the Psalms, it's full of people expressing pain and complaint and tragedy. I thought Psalm 13 was particularly powerful. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So many of the Psalms, once there is an honest expression addressed to God, God does something in response to us that leads us back round to seeing who we are. So tragedy is real. Tragedy should be expressed, but express it to him. Express it to him that has the power and the sympathy, the empathy to come meet you in those times. Next we see God working through tragedy says in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has an uncanny ability to use the suffering we're going through to reveal him, to cause us to become more like him in the process. And we can actually still serve our purpose during tragedy. If you think right at the beginning, God's purpose was to invite us into unity with him. That can still happen when we're suffering. And to be part of his mission to fill the earth with his glory. Which means we become more like him. We show what he's like. We can actually do that even when our life seems to be crumbling in front of us. There's this quote by Francis Bacon. I don't think that's uh, Kevin's brother, um, because 
he's got this old-fashioned hat in all the pictures that I can see. It's like from the 1600s or something like that. Um, but there's probably still seven degrees between them, I would have thought. Um, so he says, in one and the same fire, clay grows hard and wax melts. There is no guarantee that the fire that we face, the suffering that we face, will inevitably make us more like Christ. There's no guarantee it will soften our hearts to people. Someone can go, two people can go through the same thing. One will be hardened and embittered, and the other becomes compassionate and soft. So what, what is the key to make sure that my heart becomes softer, my character becomes more like his, that suffering leads to good coming from it? Well, the key was in that verse, that, that Matthew 6, verse 8. Seek first the kingdom of God. If my focus is first what he wants on this earth, that allows suffering to only improve me. If my focus is to prize him ever more dearly, to love him more, anything I face only can help in that purpose. I want to be like Christ, partake with him in my suffering, within, within his sufferings. I want to go through a fire that brings me out more like him. You remember Balthazar's testimony a little while ago when he was in the waiting room before he went into his surgery. God calls me to come out of this hospital in a better attitude than I go in. And at that point, the presence of God came and brought peace to him. Something about making that decision... So what are you in this for? Are you coming to God for a removal of pain? A protection against tragedy? Or are you coming to him to say, God, I just want to love you more and become more like you. And if that's through suffering, so be it. Use anything because the goal is not to be pain free. It's to be more like you, to be closer to you, to be more useful to what you're trying to do, your perfect plan for this world. I thought, um, I heard Ficarette's story this week, and a few of the points kind of emphasised what I was teaching on. So Ficarette, can we come and hear your story? So Ficarette, you became a Christian a few, quite a few years ago now. How many years ago? Ten. Ten, okay. And you did a course that we were doing in the church at the time called Doulos, which was a, a, a training course. And you were taught that God loves integrity, which is honesty, transparency. What was your reaction to this teaching? So at that time I was working with a group of people and they didn't really value integrity or uh, honesty at all. So. I had to make a decision, and my decision was to quit this job, which it was very well paid. Okay, so you shocked your colleagues by doing that. And so you quit this job in about October, Correct. and things worked out beautifully after that for you, right? Yeah, after quitting this job, I didn't have another job to go to. Uh, I was sitting home waiting, trying to get another job, which it wasn't happening. Things didn't go that well. 
uh, our finance was going downwards, our savings were coming to nothing. Uh, so, yeah. You, and you, you said you were anxious? I was very anxious. How did you show your anxiety in the house? Uh, I was sometimes switching the lights off, trying to <laughs> save money. And so there was a, a couple of other events that happened during this period of time. So during this time, uh, whatever savings was left, someone decided to steal them from our bank, so we lost them as well, and we had to go through some hassle to get them back. Our car broke down. Yeah, lots of other things. Nothing was going right, really. It was just finance was a difficult time for me. So how, how were you feeling in this kind of step towards integrity experience? I had so many thoughts. What have I done to myself? Did I make the right decision? Did I hear God clearly? It was so much battling in my head, like... You know, you get those thoughts like, did I really, was that really God? You know, I would look what I put myself into. And sometimes my colleagues that I used to work with, they would just call or text and say, oh, you can come back anytime you want. You will have you back, you know. They were just tempting, tempting to. And their timing was incredible because it was after your car broke down. While I you're... remember when our car broke down on the evening, the next morning, someone called, oh, why don't you come back? We, uh, we can have you back. And it was just tempting all over. But as you were being faithful to God, you see that God proved himself faithful to you. So what, what did you begin to see him do during this time? So when our car broke down, that was something I was really thinking, how are we going to fix it? I remember the next day speaking to my brother who lives in Luton and uh, I explained to him what went wrong with the car. And he said, oh, don't worry, I've got a part and I'll come to you and fix it. And the next evening our car was fixed. So he, he, he didn't he, charge he, us anything, he was just... He a, drove an hour from Luton, yeah, fixed he, it in ten minutes and yeah, drove back to Luton. He didn't even come inside our house to... <laughs> <laughs> he just fixed the car and went back. Then you had, um, you had a, went for a drive with Gordon Brewer. Uh, so... 15th of December, this was. Around it? 15th of December, Gordon came. I think we went for a drive, then we ended up in our flat. And he said he was going to pray for work, that I would get some work. And I really didn't expect any work, because just before Christmas, construction is completely dry. There is no work that you can go to on that time. However, Gordon prayed. Uh, I don't know where he got that faith from to pay to pray. <laughs> and before he reached home, someone called me to go and work the next day. And I went to this job. Then the person who needed people, he only kept me in his place to work until the 24th of December. And when he paid me, he gave me more money than we had agreed. He said, just, I want to bless you with something. So what did this show you of the nature of God? This helped me so much to come to a point where I can trust God with my needs. I don't need to worry. My anxiety for finance went. I don't 
I'm not a millionaire, but I don't worry about income anymore, thank to God. Great. Thank you very much for correct. Thank you. So what I liked in Fikaret's story was he, he took that position that the, his priority was to glorify God. Um, he chose that even though the temptation to step back into that corrupt employer was there, he knew what God wanted and he made a priority on that. But as he did that, God used that suffering to show him more of what he was like. And so he talks about relief from anxiety. He said that was one of the things, financial security was, was almost the, the point that the enemy could get me. And yet that has now been crushed by what God has done. And I asked him before, did it make you more or less committed to integrity? And he said, so much more. The thing that you suffer for, you learn to love more. He had a revelation. God is his source. It's not his employer. And he saw how God used a variety of sources, a variety of channels, whether it's his brother coming down from Luton, whether it's prayer from uh, Gordon Brewer, and then employment when he shouldn't have expected employment. So some more questions for you to consider. Do you want to know the closeness of God in your current challenges, in your current, current tragedies? And do you want to make the goal, or are you willing to make the goal of this challenge about glorifying him over your deliverance out of pain? So just to summarize, put it into these... You, you might want to respond to these three options. Do you want to know that he's with you, especially in your trials? Will you accept that he's sent you to show what he's like, to be his light in darkness? Are you willing to make the goal of this challenge about his glory over your deliverance of Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.